Hi everyone, I'm Charlie Boyd and welcome to the Jesus on Display podcast. Before we begin today's content, I wanted just to say thanks for supporting us here at Fellowship Greenville with your gifts and generosity. Because of your giving, we get to share resources like this podcast with you to help reach you wherever you are in your life with Jesus. If you'd like to support the ministry of Fellowship Greenville, you can head to fellowshipgreenville.org forward slash give to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. The church matters because it matters to Jesus. Jesus has been telling his disciples that he's going to Jerusalem to die and rise from the dead. He takes them all the way to the north in Caesarea Philippi to ask them the question, to draw out a rock-solid confession of faith of who he really is. And he's saying, after I'm gone, I will build my church and it will take my place in the world and it will carry my mission forward in the world and nothing, no nothing will ever stop it. That's what he's saying. You see how much the church matters to Jesus? He's the architect and builder of the church. He died and rose again from the dead to bring the church into existence. He promises to preserve and protect his church until he comes back and puts every enemy under his feet. Second point, the church matters because by its very nature and definition, it is unique from other forms of Christian gathering or personal worship. Now let me prove that to you. We have to ask the question, so what exactly did Jesus mean by church. He's going to build his church. What does he mean by that? Let's unpack it. Now, the word that Jesus uses here, we, as the word that we translate church, that word is the Greek word ekklesia, which means gathering. And back in the day, ekklesia referred to any kind of assembly or gathering. The um, Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, translated Uh, the Hebrew word kahal as ekklesia, and kahal is a word that's frequently used in the Old Testament to refer to the children of Israel gathered to worship and to hear Yahweh's instruction. So the Hebrew word kahal was translated into the Greek word ekklesia. Both of them mean gathering, but over time, ekklesia began to refer to the gathering of God's people. This is so very important. Jesus promised, he prophesied, predicted, a gathering. He didn't predict cathedrals and church buildings. He predicted a people, a community of faith to carry forward his mission in the world. And he says, nothing, not my death, not your death, no power in heaven or hell or on earth, nothing will stop it. And that's what exactly what he did. And that's what he continues to do. He is building his church. In fact, if you're a Christ follower, you, you are a fulfillment of that prophecy 2,000 years ago, or even better, we, together, worshiping here together, we are the fulfillment of that 2,000-year-old prophecy. Here's my working definition of ecclesia, what we call a church. A church is a particular gathering of Christ followers who meet at a specific location to hear and respond to God's word in congregational worship as they work together to move Jesus' mission forward in the world. It's a particular gathering of Christ followers. They meet in a specific location 
They meet to hear and respond to God's word in congregational worship, and they work together to move Jesus' mission forward into the world. Now, that is the true nature of the church. Listen again, the church is not a building, it is not the building, and it's hard for us to let go of that idea, isn't it? Because we walk into some place and we go, wow, this is a beautiful church. And there's nothing wrong with beautiful churches and having nice buildings. Now, you have heard it said, you don't go to church, you are the church. Well, that's, that's true. You, you don't go to church, you are the church. That's true, kinda. If when you talk about going to church, you're talking about going to a building, then you're right. You don't go to church, you are the church. But there is a sense in which it is true that we go to church if we mean by church a particular gathering of God's people who meet weekly in a specific location to hear and respond to God's word in worship. If that's your definition, then you go to church. Now, I use the word particular, a particular gathering, because it's clear in scripture that any gathering, just any gathering of, of two or more Christians doesn't necessarily constitute what the New Testament regards as a church. Like bumping into a Christian friend in the grocery store and talking about what you got out of your quiet time that morning doesn't mean that that interaction in the ice cream aisle is church. A community group is not church. A Bible study is not a church. Could become one, but fellowship uh, but the fellowship you enjoy in a small group is not church, not the way the New Testament talks about it. Sitting at home, watching our Sunday worship service online is not church. And I would say if that has become church for you, you're really, truly missing out. And no, you cannot worship God at the lake just like you can worship God in church on Sunday morning cannot do it. If you use a word that Jesus uses and you use it in a completely different way than he defines it, like for one thing, church for Jesus is a noun. It's not a, it's not a verb. But if you elevate your thoughts and ideas about the church over how Jesus and the writers of the New Testament define the church, then you will most definitely miss out on something that God has in store for you. And yes, of course, of course you can worship God personally and privately wherever you are. And you should. Of course you can and should worship God personally and privately. In fact, those who worship God privately get more out of corporate worship. But when Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my growing gathering of, pe of my people, he had something altogether different from your own personal private times of worship. You see, there are several important things that make a church a church. There are certain church matters that, according to the New Testament, must be present for a gathering of God's people to be a church. Again, I, uh, things like gospel preaching and congregational worship and observing baptism in the Lord's Supper and fellowship and membership and leadership and organization and leaders seeking the Spirit's leadership for the community of faith and collective generosity and serving and being a contributing member to the body of Christ, all those kind of things. We'll unpack some of those this summer. But according to the New Testament, all of those ingredients make up a particular local weekly gathering of Christ followers that, that we call the church, the church that Jesus promised to build. 
And according to Paul, spiritually speaking, we are seated here, but we're also seated in the heavenly places in Christ. So wherever we happen to find ourselves on earth, we're a part of the multitude, timeless multitude, a spiritual gathering in heaven. Now, the writer of Hebrews talks about this. He lays it all out for us in Hebrews chapter 12, and he contrasts the gathering of the children of Israel at Mount Sinai with the true nature of God's people today, the church universal. Look at this, Hebrews 12, 18. You've not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. And Moses himself was so frightened at the the sight, he said, I'm terrified and trembling. You didn't come to that. No, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in joyful assembly, gathering. You have come to the assembly, the ecclesia of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You've come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people. That's the universal church. And we see it again in Revelation. We get a picture of it in Revelation 5 as, a, as the heavenly gathering of all God's people from across all the ages. And in one sense, in Christ, you're already there, which just blows my mind. But in another sense, we're not there yet. And the local church is a kind of outpost for this heavenly gathering of the ultimate church. So again, when Paul writes to the church of God in Corinth, he's writing to a local gathering of believers who happen to be in the city of Corinth, and that's their physical, earthly location, and they constitute the church of God in that place, and that means that we are the embodiment of the universal church in this location. So when Jesus said, I will build my congregation, he wasn't referring as much to the universal church as he was talking about the local church, the church that he's he's growing and multiplying. Now, how do I know that? That's a good question because you ought to make me prove that to you. So I will. All right. I know that because of what happened in the book of Acts. The church that Jesus said he would build came into being in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost. The day of, the, of Pentecost was the opening day of the local church. Jesus began building his church on that day and we read the story of Jesus building his church in the rest of the book of Acts. You see, when Jesus said, I will build my church, he was telling us that it would involve a process that would take time. And in the book of Acts, we see that process. In the beginning, we see a particular gathering of Christ followers who met in homes to hear the apostles preach. And uh, they met in homes for worship and fellowship to generously serve those inside the community and outside the community of faith. And those gatherings, they got bigger and bigger as the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And those gatherings multiplied. And hear me, the story of the church in the New Testament is not simply the story of disciples making disciples. 
It's the story of disciples making disciples and gathering them together in local, weekly, organized meetings, some in homes and some in buildings. But as the story continued, the groups in the early chapters of Acts, they had to have more organization to care for and disciple the people that God was bringing to their gatherings. I mean, it just wasn't possible for the 12 apostles to be in all the places where the churches were being planted. And so they appointed elders and deacons in every city as local churches multiplied. And God also gave to the church people, men and women. He gave them spiritual gifts of teaching and prophecy and pastoring and administration and generosity and service so that they all worked together in the body of Christ so that it was knitted and held together in love as each part did its work. And all of those gifted and called people became the organizational foundation that went on to build up the body of Christ. Do you see how you can't do church at the lake or the beach? Why not? Because the church is a particular gathering of God's people who are organized to meet together in a particular location to hear and respond to God's word in congregational worship. And through the word and worship, they are built up together in their faith. And through the word and worship, they're sent out to carry Jesus' mission forward into the world by making disciples and bringing them into his church. And sometimes by planting churches in other locations, just like we see in the book of Acts. This is the true nature of ecclesia. This is the true nature of Jesus' prophecy. This is how Jesus defined it. This is how he designed it. And this is how he's built it. He developed it. So review, the church matters because it matters to Jesus. Secondly, the church matters because it's by its very nature and definition, it's unique from personal worship and other forms of Christian gathering. And third, the church matters because in congregational worship, you can experience God in a way that's impossible anywhere else. At least that's how it's supposed to be. Now, interestingly enough, there are no manuals for how to do church found in the New Testament. But as you read through the New Testament, we do see that the church met weekly, usually on Sunday, first day of the week. We know there was preaching, but we're not told how long the preachers preached. We know there was singing, but we're not told much about the lyrics of the songs. Uh, we know they baptized new converts, and we know they observed the Lord's Supper on a regular basis, but we're not told exactly how often they did either one of those things. And just as I said, they, they, that we know there were, there were leaders, elders and deacons, who were trained and appointed to shepherd and serve the church, and that there were other gifted leaders who served in various capacities in the growing gatherings. We do know that the church was unlike any organization in that day. It was unlike it because men and women didn't gather together, but they did in the church. Slaves and free people didn't assemble and meet together, but they did in the church. Educated, uneducated people, poor, rich, they didn't congregate together, but they did in the church. And this diverse group of people, because of their common faith and focus on Jesus, they lived together in unity of heart and mind and purpose, 
Now, my point is this. We have a vague idea of what went on in the local weekly gathering of God's people, but clearly what went on in those meetings was unique. But one thing we know for sure was that when the church met together, God showed up in very real, tangible, and powerful ways. And we get a glimpse of that in 1 Corinthians 14. Now, interestingly enough, when Paul wrote the letter we call 1 Corinthians, he addressed the congregation in Corinth in glowing terms. He says, you guys have been sanctified in Jesus. You've been set apart to God. You've been called together as saints, made holy. Uh, he talks about how in this congregation they have powerful, spirit-filled uh, preachers, and in this congregation they have all the spiritual gifts that are, uh, that are manifested, they're being manifested, and in this congregation, they, they're talked about as they are in fellowship with Jesus. But even with all that, it certainly could have been possible for somebody to say of the church in Corinth, oh, that church is full of hypocrites because it was full of people problems. The congregation in Corinth was a hot mess. And in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul addresses some of the confusion and disorder. There's one part of this chapter that has always amazed me and it really undergirds my third point. Paul gives us a glimpse into what a congregational meeting in Corinth was like. He describes something of what went on. Now, he's describing, he's not prescribing. He's not saying this should characterize all the churches. It, he's not saying it did characterize all the churches. He's just describing something that went on there. And down in verse 26 of chapter 14, he says, my paraphrase, when you meet together, one will sing, one will teach, another might uh, speak of a special revelation God is giving. And then he says, boils it all down. Just make sure that everything you do is done decently and in order. And in the verses just before that, he's talking about how speaking in tongues in a weekly meeting can be confusing to a newcomer if they come to church and it, they can't understand anything that's going on in the service and it just sounds like a bunch of gibberish and babbling. He says, if that happens, newcomers can, will just, they're just gonna conclude that you're all a bunch of crazy people. But he also says, if there's order and unity in the gathering, and if there's a clear word from God spoken by the leaders, he says, if, you, if an unbeliever comes into a meeting like that, it's very possible that they might come under the conviction of God's truth and he'll fall on his face and worship God saying, God is really among you. Now, the point is when God's people gather for weekly worship, when they sing loud and strong in worship, when they hear the word of God taught in clear and understandable ways, when they serve each other and show hospitality to newcomers, then God can show up in a uniquely powerful way, so much so that you and other people know that he is in the room with you. Listen, if you come to church anticipating God will show up, if you come expecting to meet him here. If you open yourself up to his spirit working in you and through you, listen, you can and will experience God being in the midst of his people in a way that you can't experience anywhere else. Why? Because you're not in the midst of his people. You can personally worship God online when it's not possible for you to come to this gathering. And I'm glad we have online. We can personally worship God in beautiful outdoor locations, but you cannot and will not experience God in personal worship like you can in congregational worship. 
Not according to the Bible, you can't. Now, I will say, if you're living a lifestyle of personal worship and you come to church with that heart, you'll get a whole lot more out of congregational worship. By its very nature, the church is unique in how it worships and serves and is on mission together. And it matters because you can experience God in local, weekly gatherings of his people in ways that's impossible anywhere else. So I beg you, do not let the world infect you with a low view of Jesus' church. The church is his bride. Don't let imperfect Christians make you think less of Jesus' church than he does. If Jesus loves imperfect people, and if he loves imperfect churches, then maybe we can learn to do that too. And don't tell yourself that you're just fine on your own at the lake or at the beach or watching from home or just hanging out with a group of Christian friends in a coffee shop. I'm not saying those things are bad. Those things are good. There's lots of good in all those things, but they're not the same as being a worshiping, contributing member of Jesus' local church. The Jesus on Display podcast is produced right here at Fellowship Greenville in Greenville, South Carolina. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Follow and share this podcast with anyone who might be interested or curious about our church community or how storytelling unites us and helps us feel more connected. To actively keep up with what's going on at our church community, head to our website at fellowshipgreenville.org Follow us on all social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for tuning in. Grace and peace to you for your week, and we'll see you next time.